0: Hi, I'm Chris Marie. I'm so glad you're listening. In conflict, do you ever walk on eggshells, avoid sharing your honest opinion, or even hesitate to say no? Well, no more. Susan and I created a Speak Up Kit just for you. It's an easy-to-use, proven, step-by-step process to find your voice and reduce your stress. To learn more, go to thriveinc.com forward slash speak up. That's www.peakup.com. T-H-R-I-V-E-I-N-C forward slash S-P-E-A-K-U-P. Hi, I'm Chris Marie Campbell. And I'm Susan Clark. Okay. And today we have a very special guest with us, Kareth Foster, who is the CEO and founder of Inversity Solutions. She's a media personality, author, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging DEIV specialist. She's appeared in the films Can We Take a Joke? and No Safe Spaces as an advocate for free speech and conscious communication. Her work, recently highlighted in the New York Times, is creating a seismic shift in diversity, leadership, and cultural change in academic institutions, organizations, and corporations across America. Welcome, Kara. so excited to be yes. here. Yes. Thank you for having
1: me. What a treat. But I have to say... I was so excited when I saw your article in the New York Times and it just spoke to me and I was like, hey, we really want to get her on this show. And so it was so exciting that you responded and we've been able to get you on. Looking forward to this conversation because I think we have some similar shared agreements about some of the challenges faced that unless we get to appreciating conflict a little differently, it's we're not going to get too far in the diversity, equity, inclusion without that.
0: Tell us about what even your backstory, even entering this work or what's most important to you right now.
2: Sure. They say there are no accidents. Everything is, some people believe it's predestined. I began with the goal to have a career in broadcast journalism. It's what I got my degree in. It's actually what I worked in while I was in college and then graduated. I moved to New York City to work for The View because who better than Barbara Walters to have as a boss? Yeah. While I was there, though, I found stand-up comedy, or rather, it found me. And all the things that were bothering me about media, the limitation, but you can only do what the networks allow. You can only do what the sponsors say with the executives. I just, I wanted to be part of something that brought people together that was honest, that was about illuminating the truth. Around things and people, and when I was introduced to the world of comedy, he had always followed it and loved it, but never thought I would do it. But when I saw that I had the capability, I was like, "This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is the mark." And so, what happened was, comedy became this incredible vehicle for me to travel the country and the world, really. And through that, I think I gained skills of being a master communicator because within comedy, the number one rule is yes, it be funny, but it's know your audience. So if you're going to convey an idea, a concept, anything that you want someone else to receive fully, you have to be able to reach them where they are. And that doesn't mean talking down to them. It doesn't mean going over their head. And so having traveled from Washington State to Washington, D.C. for 20 plus years, I really got to nurture that within myself. And so while I was pursuing stand-up, my mother's, please get health insurance. So I started working at Estee Lauder in their corporate headquarters in HR. Now, that was never part of the game plan, but I'm so grateful that I did because I got that corporate background under my belt. And while I was given the opportunity to climb the corporate ladder, I knew that wasn't part of my life path. But now I know, of course, with what I do, that I was supposed to be there in that space as well. So I left Estee Lauder to start a production company about... That lasted about 20 minutes. (laughs) Uh And I get a call from an old comedy booker saying, hey, Kara, are you interested in a radio TV opportunity? Any comedian worth their salt? Of course, yes. Now, like, by the way, it's with Don Imus. And I remember thinking, nappy-headed hose Don Imus? And of course, referencing the 2007 incident where shock jock Don Imus made the disparaging remark about the Rutgers women's basketball team. And I remember watching it, and I talk about this in my TEDx talk, but I remember thinking I should have been there because I saw it from multiple angles. I saw it from a performer, a comedian, who knows that when you're trying to do something off the cuff and on the fly, it's not always going to land. And that's what he was doing. He was trying to be funny. He was riffing. That's the term we use in comedy, right? Where you don't really have an opportunity to vet the material. And obviously, he broke the number one rule in comedy because it wasn't funny. But the aftermath was even more traumatic and dramatic. And I also saw from the perspective of a Black woman. I can't believe you went there and said that. That's completely out of place and just not thoughtful. There are other words I could use. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> cruel or pain politically. I'm trying to, in it, but I got it. And I remember thinking if I could have been there to have this conversation with him, he would understand why the reactions are what they are and how his comments were completely inappropriate. And hurtful to a certain population. And I got this call and I remember thinking, oh my goodness, what do I do? Do I join forces with one of the most reviled men in media? And of course, my reputation is going to be at stake. Or do I seize this as an opportunity to be that beacon of light and truth that I always wanted to be, get into the media, be the anti-stereotype of what we see of Black women in the media, and have a voice there where there's a deficit because there was no Oprah at the time. Like her daily show was over. She had no network. There was no Shonda Rhimes. There was no Kerry Washington or Viola Davis. Not that those four women make up for an entire population, but there wasn't anyone there in that space that wasn't a stereotype. And so I remember being terrified by thinking I've got to do this because if I don't, somebody else will. And they may not be as responsible. And so that call to have this national dialogue about race and racism in America was what put me on the path to to diversity. And the more I was in it, the more I was like, wait a second, we've been doing this for 50, 60 decades at the time. (laughs) Why is it two steps forward, 10 steps back? What is going on? What is missing? Why is this not working? And again, just the more I observed, the more I realized that it wasn't that diversity is a bad thing, but it's maybe it's how we're going about it, right? It's the delivery, it's the execution, it's, how we have these conversations and again being able to bring that communication uh, background into things like why don't we just flip the script a little bit because i love words i love playing with words i love writing i wrote a book um and I looked at the word diversity even the root of the word diversity is div right all the words that start with it division divide divorce and we're expecting diversity to yeah. together So I came up with the term inversity, which is still the honoring of who we are and our identity, what we bring to the table, our background, our heritage, but expanding the definition of diversity to be diversity of thought and ideas as well. And shifting the focus from what separates and divides us to what is it that we have in common? How can we be truly inclusive of one another? But most importantly and powerfully, introspective, meaning understanding your value and worth so you can see it in someone else. And I think we've been trying to work from the outside in this whole time, and that's part of why it's not working. So if we can make that shift for internally, we have a chance. Yeah, that is, I mean, that whole idea, I mean,
1: I think even from my background in in psychotherapy and psychology, often things people try to heal themselves from the outside in, and that does not work. You cannot help somebody from the outside in because they have to actually grow from the inside out to be able to do the work. That's been hard enough for people to understand. There's always been experts trying to work from the outside in. And that usually has not boded well for over time. And what really does work well is when somebody grows themselves up, starts to understand from the inside out. And that's a lot. Yeah. So that's
0: one of the pieces I just love about what you just said. That's so important. And even yeah. the whole idea of self-compassion is such, is not given. I think it was Brenny Brown who said, shame is not a social justice tool. When they try to get gay men in the AIDS epidemic to use condoms, you should do, you know, it didn't work. So that's compassion, but self-compassion, I can't be compassionate to you unless I'm like, yeah. I made a mistake. And, yeah. But we try to defend because we think we're going to get kicked out of the tribe if I acknowledge my mistake. Our primal brain is, no, I'll, I'll be hurt. And the exact opposite is true when I acknowledge and can I can love me. It's easier for, I don't need your approval, but I'm more likely to get it even in that scenario, if that mm-hmm. makes I, sense.
2: I always think of the that line that Julia Roberts' character had in Pretty Woman, and she and Richard Gere have kindly, finally hooked up and- they're in bed and he's laying next to her, telling her how wonderful she is. And she says, the bad stuff is easier to believe. And I think that's our default, right? Yeah. And it's our default for ourselves and it's our default for others. And I, I did write a book called You Can Be Perfect or You Can Be Happy. And there actually is a tie-in to yeah. the university work because the idea is, spoiler alert, there's no such thing as perfection. Yeah. We strive for excellence, of course, but there's no such thing as perfection. And happiness is a choice. It's as individual as we are. yeah. And it changes because what makes us happy today may not make us happy in five years. And same with what made us happy 10 years ago doesn't make us happy today. But the caveat is happiness is not a constant. It ebbs and flows. And so this idea that we're supposed to be happy all the time with ourselves, with other people, that's such a misnomer. But the real point I was trying to make is this idea of perfection, right? We're seeking it ourselves. We get mad that we don't have it. And sometimes we forget about us, but we're, we get mad at other people for not being perfect. So, yeah, And just sure. wait a second, hold the phone. Nobody is. Can we yeah. bring some grace into the conversation and compassion, as you just said? And conscious empathy is one of the terms that I use because that's the empathy that takes a little work. It's not just putting yourself in someone else's shoes. It's asking at least two challenging questions. What is it like for them and how might that feel? Um. And that takes effort and it takes energy. And as you were just saying, Susan, people want a quick fix. They want that external because that's the easier grab. The internal yeah. takes a little time and effort and energy.
0: Yeah. And repetition and well, falling on your face and picking yourself back up like comedy, I would imagine. I
1: like that your reference to would you rather be
2: perfect or right? Happy. Yeah. Pra- happiness. How did you say it again? Say it one. You more can, can either time. be perfect. A, happiness is a choice. Yeah. It's okay. as individual as we are. But, but it's also was- not a constant. And what's your book
0: title? Yeah. The
2: book is You Can Be Perfect or You Can Be Happy.
0: There you go.
1: That's right. And we often say in our work, you can be right or relational. You don't get to be both. And it's the same idea. It takes it into your version of it is inside yourself. You can either, if you're a perfectionist, you're trying to get it right. And you're probably not going to be very happy or very, you're not going to actually move very much. And it's the same way when you get into a relationship. And I could choose to be
0: right or relational. Same thing on State. I'm an actor, not a comic, but I can imagine with that improv and being, if you haven't vetted your material like Don Imus, that whole idea of whoops, and how do you recover? Because yeah. we also say it's not what you do, it's what you do next. So how do you recover mm-hmm. when it falls flat? And stay, oops, okay, that didn't work. Can I yeah. be curious and interested in what is going on? Which I imagine in your communication piece, like, I'd love to hear the end of the story. Like, how did it work when you took the job?
2: And sure, I'm loving this conversation. Because so much, again, and you brought up Brene Brown earlier, who I just adore. And she and I both talk about vulnerability. And now it's actually really a strength. And by the way, there is no more vulnerable art form than stand-up comedy. Yeah. Because it is all, you. Yeah. all yeah. you. The complete acceptance or complete rejection right there in real time, your words, your body, your thought, your face, your voice, your ideas. And it's hard, but when it hits, that's why it's like this drug. Like I'm not really experimenting with drugs, but I can't imagine a high greater than having a good night on stage in comedy. That's why so many people can't leave it, can't shake it. (laughs) Because it feels so good when it's done well. The idea that, again, if we could bring some grace into the conversations, we're not always going to say the right thing. We're not perfect. We're fallible. We're human. And if we can have grace with others and grace with ourselves and the vulnerability and humility to admit when we misspeak or when we've hurt someone unintentionally and being saying, I'm open to correcting that. I'm open to learning what is now considered, because this landscape is changing every day, right? I mean, it's a a space where you can't say that anymore. You know, that term is outdated. That's an insult now. And it's, whoa, and people's heads are spinning. And quite honestly, you're talking about just Again, expanding the idea of what diversity really is, like true diversity, this is the first time legally in, I think, the history of America. We have four, almost five generations working together. Wow. really come from different times mm-hmm. and different cultures and of what was acceptable and what was considered appropriate and okay. And certainly the way that we think you now, there's overlap, of course. But when we're dealing with two very different generations of people trying to work together, there will be conflict if we don't understand how to resolve it, how to have conversations that are conscious. Yeah. But but you you got on the
1: show. How did it go?
2: But we I we got, got on the show. So, so. I call it my tale of two cities. Okay. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> and I say that because it was a dream job. I wanted to be on the air. I love broadcasting. I love television. I love radio. I love being able to be that voice. Unfortunately, Don Imus was a drug addict and an alcoholic Oh, sought recovery. (laughs) So even though he wasn't drinking or taking drugs anymore, you never knew who you were going to get. And he was a self-admitted dry drunk. And because of it, he was manic. And so one day you might get the amazing Marconi award-winning creative genius. And the next day you might get a 4 year old bipolar boy. Wow. And it was tough. I saw him make grown men cry. He, it was very stressful. My cortisol levels were through. So it wasn't the what I was hoping it would be, which was unfortunate. <laughs> but again, the lecture almost annually at Stanford Graduate School of Business uh, for a course on reputation management. And I tell the story about going in to save his reputation and ultimately having to save mine. Yeah. And every year they're like, knowing what you know now, would you take the job? And the answer is, like, would I have let it affect me as deeply um, as I did? No, because I'm older and more mature. And I'd never been in an abusive situation before. Mm -hmm. So what I didn't realize was there is part of you when you're in that space is, what did I do wrong? How can I make it better? And you go into this modality of thinking it's you when the reality is it usually, so somebody that's that off, it is them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You try to make it better. You try to fix it. And so I had to go through some like self-work and recovery. But because I had to go through that, I'm so much stronger. Oh, yeah. I'm so much more aware. And again, this, all these things, there are no accidents. And it led me to this path of understanding my value and worth so that I don't enter that space again. I was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. I will be very real with you all. And I remember thinking, I'm either going to Bellevue or I'm going to Bali. <laughs> Unfortunately, I had the money and the time and I went to Bali. Bali. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm spending that much money, I'm going someplace pretty. And no. while I was there, y'all, I had the most amazing experience. I had a horrible asthma attack because it's a rainforest. And I didn't know about that before I went <laughs> it. And I was like, I need to go to the hospital. And the people I was there with were like, we have this Western woman who runs a fertility clinic in town. I'm like, not the part of my body. I'm having allergies. <laughs> They're like, no, just, so it's like when in Rome. So I did. I trusted source. I'm like, okay. And they take me to this woman with this white blonde hair and these aqua blue eyes. And she gives me acupuncture and she opens my lungs and she cups my back. yeah. And she looks at my tongue. She's like, honey, how long are you here? I'm like, two weeks. She goes, you need to see me every day. So within the couple of days, we started talking. And she's like, how did you get here? And I said, obviously, I'm a police. she said, no, how did you get into this state, this physical state that you're in? It's terrible. I said, stress. My, my boyfriend at the time was not a good fit. My boss is mean. And I just, and she said something that changed my life. She goes, honey, I don't know how to tell you this, but you're the constant. And I said, I beg your pardon. And I remember being living. this Oh, I was so mad. How dare you tell me that I'm responsible for what's going on in my life? <laughs> you hear that now, right? And but now. it took months to get there. Yeah. It took months to get there. And I realized she wasn't saying I was responsible for their behavior. Nope. She was saying I was responsible for being there. Yeah. yeah. So, for your choice. Yes. Yes. yes I What things I had done in my, and one of the things that I realized the epiphanies, the light bulb that I had was I wasn't treating myself with dignity and respect and worth. So that opened the door or the window for other people to come in and do that for me to me. Yeah. Yeah. So this whole personal responsibility thing is also a big part, I think, of the diversity conversation. mm -hmm. There are people coming from different places, different ideals, different backgrounds. They may be ignorant. They may be. Mad and me, but are you going to let that take over your energy? Are you? How are you going to let that impact you? Yeah, yeah. I think
0: about what you're talking about—the five generations—and now we can't say this. That's an insult, and I think that's a desire for people to control. Let me have the rules, so then I can be safe and I won't make a mistake and feel vulnerable. All of that because our two things are vulnerability and curiosity—two magic ingredients that change a conversation. And it, it's like. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to make a mistake because I don't know your rule book. I don't know what's upset. And that is just even another, a different human being. So how can I actually hang in, watch the reaction, be interested and curious and bridge that? Like, why, what's happening over there? Like to have that conversation. I think I also just your background, you went through that as an adult. I just grew up with that. So I have been in my own recovery process of pulling back my own power mm-hmm. and sense mm-hmm. of responsibility and owning my choices. No, this isn't okay for me.
2: Yes. And I yes.
0: disappoint you by saying that, but it's not okay with me.
2: Yeah. Yes. 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 And that's so empowering, which I think can sometimes seem really scary. Wait a second. I get to choose how I let other people make me feel. Yeah, I don't to just feel beat up and yeah, you do. And it, so it's scary because it's your responsibility. So it's in your hands. But it's also, if you realize how empowering it is, it, it changes can. your world.
0: It does. It changes it does. your world. I know. It
2: does. And
1: actually, I think when somebody can find their voice and stand up, and it doesn't even have to necessarily be the person in the room that's getting the most tact, but if even somebody else agrees to step out of their normal space of saying that's okay, doesn't try to protect the person, but says, hey, I'm uncomfortable with what you just said. I don't know. The other person... and They may be fine with it, then, I'm but I'm not. Well, I've seen that happen. And then, and then, do you usually say something like that? Have you ever said it? And someone will say, yeah, I always do. And it's, okay, that doesn't
0: work for me. You mean they, if the yeah. person who said something bad or... Yeah.
1: It, it, you know, what, that person, most people don't confront that in a way they that's relational. relational, relational. when well, they
2: do it. They do it. And I still love what you're saying because... Right now, we are in a culture of calling people out. We do mine. We do it now in meetings, and it's. I get it. Like, and I am not saying that everything's fine and dandy, and there's no racism or sexism or homophobia. Like those anti-Semitism, like those things exist. Yes. But the idea is, if we're gonna make a shift, it's calling people out, helping, or calling people air. Yes, Yes. I like that. And then, and (laughs) often that can be a
1: way, like. Because that, I've seen people be like so surprised. Wow, I had no idea that's that was the impact. That was the impact. And most you don't know what you don't know, right? No. But it, but if that, when it happens in the real moment, then you it's there to be talked about. It's the worst thing that can happen to someone to say I'm going to send you off to HR because that's illegal and you're going to go to jail because the person will never understand what they, they do. And they won't
2: be enrolled in wanting to understand. They're just yeah. going to be mad and angry. The walls go up, the defenses are there. And that's part of why I use humor in yeah. what I do. Because humor is one of the most incredible tools that gets the endorphins going, the good the good hormones, the serotonin, the and it's universal. And of course, it's corporate clean. I'm yeah. not getting up there doing Andrew Dice Clay stuff. That's crazy. Okay. That's a, But the idea is if you can get people to laugh, because this is such a sensitive topic, right? Diversity, because it's about who you are and how you show up. And it's about, it's just about your identity. It's you up there on the kind of chopping block. You're either going to be on the offense or the defense typically. And the way that we've done DEI for so long has people like in PTSD mode. Exactly. It exactly. made be the villain or even the victim having to be that person from the marginalized group representing all the Yes, yes. And it's not fair. It's not. No. No,
0: you can't represent. You're just a human. I'm just a human. I don't represent all women or all gay women or anything like that. It's like I'm just me with my own unique experiences. So it is unfair. So how do you use humor or where can people even hear you if you have any? Because I think that's a great but all of us are not stand-up comics. don't have the training that you have.
2: <laughs> that's true. Find, but here's the thing. Usually we find something funny. Odds are yeah. other people will too. Now, the idea isn't to use humor to attack or be cruel. Obviously, that's not funny. But anytime you can be a little self-deprecating, poking a little fun at yourself, there's so many things that are universal. And that's why comedy is so cathartic. Because we, and it's a little contradictory because we think, oh, we're laughing. But usually comedy does come from pain. Oh, yes. my ex was talking about growing up being a, the only black person in most of my classes growing up in Plano, Texas, where my theater, my senior high school, I started an all white production of the play Raisin in the Sun. I mean, and, that's sad. Oh, my. And that was my normal. And I didn't even realize that was funny until somebody pointed that out to me. But it's funny here. Is, and <laughs> the, I get. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess it kind of is. Right, it's, it's being able to laugh at the uncomfortable. It's being able to laugh at the things that have hurt. But again, that's where the healing comes from.
1: It, I remember years ago, this was when I was in my 20s and I was I dealt with a lot of, I was, had a kind of horrific storyline from the back that most people were like, wow, you, your life is so horrible. And therapists were always trying to help me get through it. But I was out working with this guy one time. We were building this hot tub. Like I would have been assigned to go help. And he's, Oh, I've heard so much about you, Susan. Tell me your story. And I started, I was like, Oh, here we go again. So I started to tell him my story. And when I tell my story at that time, I would be, I couldn't look at anyone. I'd look down as this going on. And all of a sudden, I, he started laughing and he was laughing so hard. He was just hysterical laughing. And I remember I looked up and no one had ever laughed at my story ever. (laughs) And I was stunned and I looked, like you're laughing. And he goes, I'm so sorry. because, But I have nothing else I could do but laugh. That's the most horrific thing I've ever heard. And I feel so helpless. And all this, but it jolted me. I was like, thank God you laughed (laughs) because I've had so much time where people just felt sorry for me. And oh, so it was such a joining experience. And we were both ended up just laughing and crying all at the same time. And it what it really was, it shook, really surprised me, that laughter. And I tell people that now. Don't, sometimes people laugh from their pain. Yeah. And that's very really, healthy. Yeah. Right? They, I mean, comic usually has had some of the worst stories in the world, but they found a way to relate it. So people laugh. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's great. I love it.
2: I didn't <laughs> need to stop you from talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> what a, a keen observation. And think about the sitcom episodes. Some of the Funniest sitcom episodes are what at funeral settings, right? <laughs> like, there's nothing funny about that. but it's oh my god, and everybody's sad and heartbroken. But, but it's our way to to heal. It's our way to deal and to cope. Yeah, yeah. and and it's also about making fun of the absurd. And yeah. what is more absurd, absurd. absurd yeah. than racism and sexism and homophobia? Oh. What's more absurd than those things? And than dismissing another human being because of the color of their skin or who they love or how they pray? That's insane. It, it is. is. It, it is. really is
0: insane.
1: And yeah, it is. Yeah. Wow. I've gotten myself into trouble before though, because as a therapist, sometimes I would laugh the same I just couldn't help it. And sometimes people do get some of my clients do get mad at me and I feel really sorry. I'm not laughing at you. I'm right, laughing right. at the absurdness of the things we do to each other. It's insane. Yes.
0: But it is, yeah. You've given so our listeners so much. I loved your conscious empathy. Oh. What's it like for them? And how might that feel for them? Stepping yeah. into their shoes. Know your audience. So being aware. And that's like being aware of like, how is landing over there? I think know your impact and being sensitive to that. Rhythm in there- the room, as they
2: say. Yeah. Have- yeah. yeah. Because not everybody's coming. from And I don't expect people to be psychic. We can't do that. Yeah. But we can, if we are conscious and we're paying attention, we can pick up on other people's cues. 90% of communication isn't even verbal. Oh, right. that is so sensitive. Yes present. Yeah. You see how someone shifts or their eyes averted or they go inward. or And that's all the same. So much of this is just about awareness. Like we will never tackle unconscious bias completely. It's called unconscious bias for a reason. We don't even <laughs> <laughs> Right. So the idea is if you can create an awareness so you are more aware when it comes up, but understand also that it's not about eradicating it. It's about knowing when it comes into play so that And I just say be selfish so that you're not missing out on experiences, relationships, or opportunities. And certainly so that you're not causing others to miss out on experiences, relationships, and opportunities. Because of some idea you had from back in the day that you picked up from a grandparent or the news or the social media bubble that you live in, that echo chamber. Like If you can just be aware of when that starts to come into play and you're basing your decisions off of something that you don't even have. You haven't even fully explored somebody you don't even know. That's what this work is about: discovering. Yeah, and we sure need it right now more than ever before
1: because we are. There's so much that's divided. So the inversity of
0: it is perfect. I do I feel like that, that work. like just that what did you say about people going in, not going out.
2: Yeah. Oh, calling people instead of calling people out, calling them in. Yeah. But the idea behind adversity, again, is like understanding your value and worth so you see it in someone else. Okay. Yes. You can possibly appreciate somebody else or love someone else if you don't love yourself. And that's hard because most people do not wake up first thing in the morning, look in the mirror and go, hot oh, damn, that's good. Right? We instantly are like, oh, look at that wrinkle. Look at that cellulite. Look at those. And like we say stuff to ourselves that if somebody else said it to us, we'd be like, who raised you? Yeah. I know. And I, yet we yeah. say it to ourselves and then we're expected to go out and be nice to other people. What? <laughs> it's always like putting down,
0: putting, there's all this, I'm better than I'm worse than versus, hey, I'm just a human. I'm equal to you. Like we are all humans here, but we have that sort of, where am I in the pecking order? Yeah.
2: And that's the ego, right? That's the yeah. psychoanalyst, psychoanalysts, psycho- yeah. and it's ego at play. Yeah. And yep. It's just like, how do we put the ego in check? Right. So that again, we have a heightened awareness. And are we going to be perfect about it? No. But the idea is to make it a conscious effort, to make it a pattern, to make it part of our daily practice because it's like yoga, right? They don't call it yoga perfect. They call it's it yoga. Tra- our practice, they, this, this dealing with each other. People love each other. I love my husband. He loves me. And we fight. We have the arguments and we made a choice to, we're not coworkers who just happen to get put in the same office. Like, we agreed to, and we <laughs> made little people together and it's hard. It's hard work being human, but it doesn't have to be if we are just, again, more conscious. And one of the, the mottos I say within Inversity and the company's Inversity Solutions is it's not hard work. It's hard work. Oh, oh I love nice. that. I love that.
1: Very good. I, we work in the corporate wellness. there's so much emphasis on thought work and the next thought project and thought leadership. And I've always been like, let's talk about heart leadership. So you are a perfect source for that because we need more of that out there. Heart.
0: Now you have your book. Why don't you just reiterate your
2: book, your TED talk, you know, the pieces and how people. Sure. So my book is called You Can Be Perfect or You Can Be Happy. And it actually debuted on Amazon's bestseller list under personal transformation. And my TED Talk is called The Art of Defying Stereotypes, Learning to Be True to Your Voice. Oh, I love that. And I did that in near city at Lincoln Square. Wow. And I, uh, there's something that you said, and I was going to, I was going to add them to it, and now I don't remember. Oh, oh, about the fart work. So that's not just me being woo-woo, right? There's actual neuroscience behind us. But, but, and people don't know that, like, the heart is a little brain. The heart has over 40,000 neuroreceptors that think and feel and reason and remember independently from the brain. What I lecture or I give workshops, I talk about this a little more in depth and it clicks through people when I say, you know when a relationship is over and your heart hurts? Mm-hmm. Even if it was toxic, it's because your heart is its own little brain and having yes. its own questions or when someone passes, right? You're like, I know they're not in pain anymore you're not suffering but you still your heart hurt that's why that's yeah. why and that's why we can connect our heart to these conversations and these interactions not just our heads but what's powerful is again in connecting the heart and the mind what what's in between about, I'll, I'll, <laughs> right so the words that we speak how we say something how we intentionally connect with someone else like that is so powerful, and we're all powerful and have the skills and ability to do. Now, again, I don't expect anyone to be a mind reader, and not everybody's going to be perfect about it. But that get that's where if we can realize that that there's and don't seek the perfection, we're on to something.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I and, think- and
2: I do think lots of things can happen to you, but you.
1: And I remember someone saying, "Everyone has to be loved." To be a, one of my mentors said, I'd heard. You got to be experienced love so you can be loving. And he said to me, no, all you have to do is connect to your own loving. And you have everything you need
0: because no one can take that away.
1: And I yes. just think that is like, really, we lose that so often. It's we like, think
0: other people have to approve of us or say the right thing oh, versus...
1: Or in a field of tea, you think, oh, then I'm going to, I have to hate. And you don't.
2: It's a and choice. It's-, it's all choice. It's and funny. it not me forget that. We forget, wait a second, I get a choice in this? Yeah, you do? <laughs> you absolutely do. Yeah. And that can change. That moves mountains for people when that realization happens. Yeah. It's hard to
0: get over, but it's hard to get to. But when you do, it's a shock to the system, but it really does shift the perspective.
2: Anything else you want our listeners to know? Just, you know, how you can reach me. I, we did share earlier, because there aren't enough podcasts out there. I'm getting ready to called The Care Culture Show with Kareth Foster. I have a workshop coming up, a webinar. Yes, the 12th. Yes, yeah. on July 12th. So yes. if it's, you're hearing this afterwards, that you can go to my website, Inversity Solutions, and catch a replay. Good. And yeah, Kareth Foster is my name, K-A-R-I-T-H. There are not too many Kareths out there. Mm-hmm. So I'm very Googleable. And- most of my hands What's the are? name of the workshop because I thought it was a great name. And Am a- I allowed to say that? <laughs> yeah. The-
1: Am I it's allowed a- to say that? It's
2: has to be a great workshop. So <laughs> I'm going to be listening. So I oh, love it. My- I love it. And again, my Instagram, Twitter handles are at Kareth Foster. And my company is Inversity Solutions. I-N-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y Solutions with an S dot com. Excellent. You, We could talk. I know, I know. we could keep talking.
0: <laughs> and I just really love that you're out there doing good work and helping people expand their experience of other humans and themselves. Connect to their heart. Yes. Oh. So thank yes. you, Kira. All right. Thank
2: you for having me, ladies. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks
1: for joining us. We hope you found today's episode valuable. If you want to take some of what you've learned on today's episode to the next level, check out our new step-by-step, easy-to-use team kit to get your team from avoiding conflict to discovering the beauty
0: in conflict. Go to www.thriveinc.com/forward/slash/teamkit to learn more. That's www.thriveinc.com forward slash T-E-A-M-K-I-T.